AM 1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's now time to enter the sports zone with your host, Bob Kemp. This is the most aggressive blitz-wise D'Amico Ryans has been as a defensive play caller in the NFL. Two years in San Francisco, his first in Houston. He's watching Lamar Jackson take it in. Touchdown, Ravens. They've stalled out far too much recently. Going to go to Kelsey. Got blockers out there trying to find an opening and a pylon. And they say touchdown. Wow, touchdown. What an incredible individual effort by Kelsey. Donch. Going 50 and he's got Good fight for Phoenix to get back in it, but Dallas owns the fourth quarter. Which is a good thing here. Nurk with a rock. Buys Durant, raising up for the win. Wow. Got the lead, but there is 1.6 on the clock. Off the rim, rebound, reached down by Giannis. Spins to the basket, finger roll, fills it, and a foul. Beltran drives one to center field. Randy's going back at the track. Goodbye! Adrian Beltran, home run number 400. And the Rangers take it three to two lead. Ground ball up the middle. Knocked down by Mihanes. Over to Mauer. The throw. Here comes Gardner. Can he score? He's out. Oh, what a play by Maurer. Wow, that would have been a dramatic finish to this ball game, but not to be. High and deep right field. Way back and gone. Three run jack for help. And it is number 300 in his great career. Dial 602-260-1060. That's 602-260-1060. Or tweet the show at KDUSAM1060. And now, here's your sports zone guide, Bob Kemp on KDUSAM1060. Welcome to the Wednesday, January 24th edition of the Sports Zone. Not just the news and scores, the news and scores with analysis. In today's Sports Zone, right here on KDUS AM 1060 and Kesselux HD 2 100.7. Ravens Chiefs, who you got Sunday at Baltimore? Jim Harbaugh, which offer should he accept? Suns and Mavericks, who wins tonight at Dallas? The Bucks. Um, Milwaukee, not Ohio State here. Uh, should Doc Rivers be the next head coach in just a few minutes? Within the last few minutes, apparently he's been officially named the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. MLB Hall of Fame, what do you think of the 2024 class? And what else caught your eye since our last show? Here's today's scheduled lineup on the show, which is the most informative sports talk Monday through Friday. In moments, we have the introduction of today's pipeline. 10-15, a Ravens and Chiefs AFC uh, Conference Championship game preview. Luke Jones will join us from WNST.net in Baltimore. 10-30, it'll be interactive action. 602-260-1060 and also today's bottom line. And uh, we'll have some local roundup, including a little on the uh, Suns and Mavericks game tonight. And also in the uh, final segment of the sports, it'll be the national roundup topped by 
from the scoreboard. Actually, we'll update the uh, NFL Championship Sunday odds, uh, sides, and totals, uh, the two games, and then we'll get to a little from the uh, you know from the scoreboard and then rip from the headlines, from the wire, whatever else I can jam in in the final segment of the hour. Then after the sports zone. It is the Extra Point from 11 to 1 o'clock, hosted by Kayla. That will include more phone call time. On to the pipeline we go. Time for today's pipeline, where the host reveals the hot topics for discussion. And we start with the KDUS poll question at KDUS1060.com. Today's question is, who you got Sunday at Baltimore? Baltimore minus 3.5 or Kansas City plus 3.5. And And Kayla is here and has the early returns. Early returns right now. We're in a 50-50 split. Right. Patrick Mahomes on the road again in the AFC bracket of things. Uh, Proceed at your own risk, I guess. Uh, meanwhile, today's uh, X poll question, uh, which would be the best choice for Jim Harbaugh, leaving the Chargers or staying, uh, leaving for the Chargers or staying in Michigan? And Kayla, what do we have here? Right now, leaving for the Chargers, 70.4% of the vote, staying at Michigan, trailing at 29.6%. This is all over on X at KDOS AM 1060. Yeah, I think I was you know, right when we were getting ready to start the show here and just start the pipeline part. Uh, when I started to talk, uh, you know, NFL Network is reporting something about uh, Jim Harbaugh, and I caught a little bit of the audio on that. Uh, and uh, they, it seemed like that they were th- expecting something from Harbaugh regarding the Chargers today. So we'll see that the Chargers reportedly have made a substantial offer to hire Harbaugh, while Michigan is an offer on the table, making him the highest-paid coach in college football. Meanwhile, on the local front, uh, Suns Mavericks, round whatever. Uh, Tonight, it's part of what the NBA has uh, dubbed the Rivals Week, whatever. Uh, They got to do what they got to do. That's fine. Uh, Who wins tonight? Suns at Mavs. Meanwhile, Spain, the globe, the Bucks are making another coaching change. Adrian Griffin out after just 43 games. He was 30-13. and uh, and just as as his first season as an NF, you know, really is not just an NBA head coach, first season as a head coach at any level, he's out. Uh, the Bucks, as I mentioned, just within the last few minutes have officially hired Doc Rivers. So, should the Bucks hire Doc Rivers as their next head coach? Is this a good idea? Meanwhile, three more members of the uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame announced yesterday: Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, and Todd Helton. Uh, the, uh, are the latest, uh, you know, former players headed to, uh, induction at Cooperstown this upcoming, uh, summer. So should Adrian Beltre, Joe Bauer, and Todd Helton be in the baseball hall of fame? Also, in addition to these excellent questions and topics, what else caught your eye since our last show? That's the pipeline for today. We've got all these tremendous topics and much more during today's sensational radio program. Anything else in your mind falls into the general discussion categories, whether it is from the pipeline or a sports topic on your mind, 602-260-1060. Or you can tweet the show at x.com slash KDUSAM1060. Basically, the only rules are accuracy and objectivity. If you violate those rules, or if you're just simply bad, you will be the target of this.
Gowry, a little sleep at the switch there. Maybe they're uh, you know a little early morning alcohol for the for the Gowry there. All right, coming up next, Corey, we'll have a news update. That'll be followed by a Ravens and Chiefs AFC Championship game preview with our longtime Sports Zone guest, Luke Jones of WNST in Baltimore. Once again, at the bottom of the hour, phone call time, general discussion, 602-260-1060. Also, we'll get to some bottom line from the pipeline questions, uh, the, the, the non-poll questions that you just heard, and uh, some local roundup time pending, including a, uh, at least some of sort of some form of a preview between uh, Suns and Mavs tonight in Dallas. You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLX HD2 100.7. downloaded the KTUS 1060 app yet? Download today and get all of your favorite local and national shows right on your phone. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLX HD 2 100.7, your home to the Dan Patrick Show, live Monday through Friday from 7 to 10 a.m. Baltimore hosting its first conference championship game since the Colts in the early 70s. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined in the Sports Zone by our longtime Sports Zone guest, uh, Luke Jones of WNST.net. Luke, let's start with Lamar Jackson. Uh, apparently delivered a passionate halftime speech uh, last Saturday uh, before they dominated the uh, second half against the Texans. I've heard it mentioned, especially since last Saturday, that Lamar has become more of a vocal leader. You get to see this every day. How has Lamar evolved in that aspect over the years? Yeah, I mean, Bob, I think it's a subtle thing. I don't think Lamar, let's be clear, he's not Ray Lewis, and he's never going to be Ray Lewis in terms of being in front of the camera and that passionate. You know, you don't see him coming dancing out of the tunnel or anything like that, but I think he's someone that over the years has become more comfortable being more vocal as he's gotten a little bit older. And the sense I've gotten from talking to a number of players, not just about Saturday night, but times where he's spoken up, it carries a lot of weight. And well, it should when you're talking about one of the best players on the planet. But I think he is one of those guys that might be a little more selective when he does speak up. But when he does, it carries a lot of clout. So you know, John Harbaugh you know, kind of walked back the – the significance of it uh, when, when he spoke to media on Monday, I think in part just to say that, hey, Lamar's been a leader for us. Uh, you know, this isn't the first time he's spoken up. It won't be the last time. And, and I think it was just more of a sense of, hey, we're fine. It's 10-10. We didn't play our best football, but we're right there. You get the ball to start the second half. Let's go out and play. And L Lamar did mention there were a few more four-letter words mixed in there. But I, I don't think it was this groundbreaking speech as much as it was just, hey, let's get going. You know, we're, we're better than this. We're better than the Texans, and everyone knew that. Uh, but it was just a matter of going out there, putting together some drives, adjusting to the Houston blitz. And they did that, and they did that in emphatic fashion in the second half with 24 unanswered points. So uh, that leadership thing, uh, it's certainly been a storyline over the last few years in terms of him becoming a little more vocal. But, again, he's still – tends to lean to be more of a lead-by-example type, but when he does speak up, it certainly carries clout. You mentioned that first half. In fact, I was going to get into that next, so here we go. 
Uh, you know, just watching on television, there's no doubt that the Texans, uh, their surprising heavy level of blitz approach in that game was effective. How did Ravens offensive coordinator Todd Munkin adjust uh, in the second half after that first half? I mean, I think it was really simple. I don't think it was anything all that over the top as far as what they did. They just went to a little more of a quick game. You know, I, I think I remember talking to you back way back in week two. The Ravens were so banged up with their offensive line, and you know, we're going yeah. to Cincinnati. And I, I, I said at that time, just go to a little more quick game. I mean, you look at some of the routes that the Ravens were trying to run against that blitz. I mean, they were all downfield. And I think they very much wanted to come out and be aggressive and grab a big lead early and just kind of lean into their running game that way. But it didn't happen. But then they come out in the second half, and they gave Lamar more answers in terms of hots and, and shorter routes. And, and the ball came out. I think Next Gen Stats had it that the ball came out uh, over a full second quicker on average in the Mm. second half than it did the first. So, you know, it it wasn't anything outrageous as far as the adjustment. It says, hey, they're going to blitz you a lot. You're not going to be able to wait for these intermediate intermediate to long uh, developing routes, you know, to to manifest. So you have to have some answers, and they did that. And then uh, after they did that, Houston backed off a little bit. And then that's when they really were able to start pounding them with the running game. So uh, I think, you know, it was pretty simple, but it was very frustrating for them. I mean, you probably, as I wrote at our station's website, probably have to go back to, I don't know, week five, the second half of that ugly loss they had at Pittsburgh, just kind of an inexplicable loss uh, for their offense to just go in the tank the way it did uh, in that second quarter with three straight three and outs. I mean, it's been that high of a standard for them. But they made the adjustment, and then their offense was cooking the rest of the way. Back to Lamar. He certainly improved as a passer. How much of that is Lamar? How much of that is scheme? And how much of it is the improved wide receiver room? I think the answer is just yes, Bob. <laughs> I mean, it, it really <laughs> – look, I mean, it, it, it's all of those things. And you and I, we've probably talked, I don't know, over a dozen times so over the course of Lamar's career here in Baltimore. We talked a lot about Greg Roman. Scheme. We talked about the Ravens not having uh, enough talent at the wide receiver position. And yes, we talked about times where Lamar, you know, whether we're talking about his footwork or his release, whatever it might be, could stand to be a little more consistent. He's always been uh, a, a good passer, uh, you know, r- regardless of what his harshest critics have tried to say. But he certainly has grown in that way. And, and I think a big key has been yes, the, the talent they added at wide receiver was Dave Flowers and Nelson Aguilar caught a touchdown, Odell Beckham. While he hasn't been a $15 million receiver, he's had his moments. Isaiah Likely, a tight end, stepping up big time for an injured Mark Andrews. I still do go back to Todd Munkin really empowering Lamar. You know, it, it, In 2019, when he led the league in touchdown passes, and, and I don't say this as a knock on him because that was a historically great season. He was a unanimous MVP for a reason. He, he deserved all the accolades. But back then with their passing games, it felt like it was all much more complimentary. You know, we're kind of like, okay, Lamar, here's where you're going to throw it. And then he'd throw it and he'd execute it. Now it's much more a case of him being in command. He has much more power to change plays at the line of scrimmage. Uh, I think he has much more influence in what they do from a route concept standpoint. And he's taken that ownership and he's run with it. So it really is all those, you know, those three uh, options that you presented, all of them have played a, a substantial part. But uh, I think the difference now, the biggest difference, because yeah, statistically, it wasn't like he had this overwhelming statistical season, especially compare it to what he did four years ago when he was MVP. But I just 
the eyeball test, play to play, series to series, quarter to quarter, game to game, week to week. I mean, it, it really is just a sense of Lamar's running the show much more than he was back then, and his execution down the stretch has just been second to none. So it, it has been a variety of those factors, but uh, I don't want to stop short and, and credit number eight for the individual growth that, that he's had here over the last couple of years. Talking Ravens, and uh, we'll get eventually here some preview of the Chiefs game with uh, Luke Jones of WNST in Baltimore. It seems like almost every time we've talked over the years, certainly the last couple of years, you know, the offensive line has been a topic, whether it's been injuries. A lot of times it's been injuries. Uh, you know, and just, you know, something always going on there, it seemed like, there for a while. What's the status of that group at this point? It's in good shape. And what's one of the, the big storylines that kind of went unnoticed, and, and understandably so. I mean, you have Lamar, you have a defense that's playing at such a high level, but the Ravens came out of their early December bye week, and they did something that's almost unheard of. They rotate their offensive tackles, not, not position to position, but Ronnie Stanley, their left tackle, Morgan Moses, their right tackle. They actually have two reserve tackles, Patrick McCary and Daniel Falalele, who actually rotate in. Now, it's not a 50-50 split, let's be clear about that, but they have spelled those guys for a series or two here or there. Sometimes it's been as much as 50%, depending on, on how the game flow uh, is in that specific matchup. But they've done that because Stanley and Moses both had injuries over the course of the season, both have played banged up, and it's something that they did, uh, and it worked out really well for them. So I, I thought Stanley came out after the bye week and, and played his best game of the season. I, I think Pro Football Focus even graded him uh, his highest game of the season, but he played really well if you just watched the tape. Uh, and Morgan, Morgan Moses played well uh, also. So their offensive line's healthier. I, I think the bye week, maybe more than any other position group uh, on their roster, probably benefited the most there because Kevin Zeitler, their standout right guard, uh, had a, a bad knee, a quad injury right at the end of uh, December that he missed a game or two there. So those guys needed some rest, but they came out and they played really well uh, against the tough Houston defensive front. And uh, it's going to be a key for them again uh, as they go up against the uh, Kansas City front that features Chris Jones. So uh, th- their offensive line's in a good place, but they've gotten to this place with, through some unconventional means, like I said, rotating those offensive tackles a little bit. So, looking ahead to Sunday, what should the Ravens be most concerned about facing uh, the much-improved Chiefs defense? Yeah, I mean, I I think the Chiefs, you look at their secondary, you look at how they've played from a pass defense standpoint, I I think it's interesting. Steve Spagnuolo, their defensive coordinator, of course, he coached with John Harbaugh all the way back in their days in Philadelphia. He was in Baltimore Mm. uh, a couple years for about a decade ago. And and Harbaugh quipped that the current Ravens defensive system Steve Spagnola contributed to that. But then he went on to say he's also noticed that Kansas City defense has taken some elements of Mike McDonald's defense here over the last couple of years. Uh, okay. So, it, 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 yeah, so it is a Kansas City defense that you know has a good pass, pass, front, you know, pass rushing front. Uh, Chris Jones anchoring that at defensive tackle. Uh, I think their secondary is really good. Uh, so I, I think that's, you know, the Ravens certainly have to be uh, aware of their abilities there, and they've got to make good decisions with the football. Lamar can't hold it too long. Uh, as was the case in the first half uh, against Houston. But I think where it helps them, though, Kansas City, the vulnerability of their defense is in their run defense. And, well, when you have Lamar Jackson uh, running the football, you know, it, it's been a different running game for the Ravens uh, than it was under Greg Roman, where you know just about everything they did worked uh, under Greg Roman running the football. It was always the passing game being the, the exception. 
But this is a little more situational for them. Lamar still drive, you know, still runs the show as it pertains to their run. He's scrambling more frequently than he did in the past, where it was more designed runs. But you know, they're running backs that had injuries. They're not quite as stout uh, when you look at them between the tackles. But the Ravens, with their passing game, with play action, with Lamar's scrambling ability, yeah, they've still had the number one rushing offense in the NFL. So, uh, Chiefs, you know, their pass defense certainly poses a challenge. But I do have my questions whether they're going to be able to stop the run over the course of 60 minutes, which has really been difficult for teams here against the Ravens down the stretch. Mark Andrews uh, is a Phoenix area high school product. Uh, he practiced last week, was un- inactive on game day. Uh, is he on schedule to play this week? And if he does play, what would do you be expecting from him? I think he is going to play. I mean, I, I, I even wrote late last week that Mark Andrews was either going either to play in the divisional round or the Ravens have done a really good job making it look like he was going to play in the divisional round. But the reality was you know, he, he had major ankle surgery just two months ago. Uh, he even said this was very similar to uh, the Terrell Owens injury from going back 20 years ago with the Eagles. You know, that, well, I guess a fibula, not technically not an ankle. But uh, he's, he's on track. I, I think he's absolutely going to give it a go this week. Uh, I think what's going to be interesting, uh, as you asked, how how much will we see him on the field? Because Isaiah Likely, his understudy, has been arguably yeah. the Ravens' best pass-catching target down the stretch. So, And statistically, he has been. So I would expect we're going to see Andrews on more of a pitch count. I think some key third downs. Red zone makes all the sense in the world. Uh, and I think they'll kind of go from there. I mean, he's last week in practice, and they're going to get on the practice field here in a little, you know, a, this afternoon and, and, and all of that. Uh, but, you know, you can still tell he's not 100%, but he's moving around pretty well. And I think he's the kind of guy that wants to get out there. They want to have him out there. He'll demand attention because that's just uh, who he is and ha- has been for five years now. Uh, so, you know, does he play 15, 20 snaps? Maybe a little more, depending on how the game flow is. You know, we'll see. But I definitely expect him to give it a go. Uh, he's worked too hard over the last couple months. Uh, to not give him a chance to, to suit up and see if he can contribute, even if it's just as a decoy against, like I said, a pretty tough Kansas City pass defense. Talking with Luke Jones at WNST.net in Baltimore. Okay, I remember when we talked back, uh, we previewed the Ravens in July. Uh, we talked about the defense. There were some questions. Really, the pass rush was the biggest one, which seems kind of a stupid idea now because <laughs> they've been unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. But you know that that unit has obviously produced really historic numbers in some case, uh, some cases this year. How's uh, you mentioned Mike McDonald? How how has he gotten the most out of this group? It's really been impressive because it's not as though they've they've been free of injuries. I mean, Marlon Humphrey, their top corner, who did not play this past week, we're going to see what his practice level is this week. He's missed eight games this year. Uh, I mean, he's a three-time Pro Bowl corner. So, missing their top defensive back, they missed uh, Marcus Williams, their, their free safety, for a number of games earlier in the year. Uh, they've had some other injuries here and there. But I think what's been so impressive about this defense is Mike McDonald has taken a defense that Wink Martindale had a lot of success with, that Dean Pease, the, the defensive coordinator before then, had success with, and he's kind of optimized it. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, the Ravens are still a team that clearly uh, tries to produce pressure. You know, they don't have these amazing 20-sack edge rushers like a T.J. Watt, Miles Garrett, something like that. Although Justin Matabike, their, their defensive tackle, has emerged yeah. and, and become uh, a stud in that way. But they just do such a good job of 
scheming up pressure, and they love to use those simulated pressures where you know you put five or six guys at the line of scrimmage, uh, and they really confuse the quarterback. I mean, you saw C.J. Stroud, who had a phenomenal end of the season as a rookie and going to be offensive rookie of the year and all that. They went to no huddle because they were having su- such trouble giving him clean looks, you know, talking their offense. So, uh, but the Ravens just they use these sim pressures. They still blitz, although not as frequently as they did with Wink Martindale running the show. And it's just, it's such a good ensemble effort. I mean, they have guys that sometimes only play eight, nine, ten snaps at any level of the defense. And you'll see those guys make a big splash play. You know, like Arthur Millette, a nickel corner for them, who you know isn't even their primary nickel corner all the time. You know, he's had some games where he's had a sack, a key pass breakup, and, you know, a, a, a tackle for a loss. And then you look up and he's played eight snaps. You know, over the course of the whole game. So they're just so good. McDonald is so good at recognizing what his players do best and putting them in position to succeed. Uh, and it's not always conventional. Sometimes it's, you know, linebackers blitzing. Sometimes it's a defensive lineman dropping into a hook zone and, and batting down a pass. You know, uh, second guys from the secondary blitzing. Uh, you know, Kyle Hamilton, the, the ultimate Swiss Army knife. Uh, their safety is not really a safety. He's more of a linebacker-nickel hybrid. Uh, they just have all these guys that are so versatile, and McDonald uses them so well, uh, and, and it's resulted in being the best scoring defense in the league, leading the league in sacks. To your point, all the concerns guys like me had about the pass rush look silly now, and uh, and also t- finishing tied for first in takeaways. I mean, it's just such a dynamic defense, and it's why I've called it their best defense since the days of Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, which is not a compliment I, I toss around there lightly. You mentioned Kyle Hamilton. I was going to get to him next. Yeah, he certainly looked the part when he was at Notre Dame. Uh, how has he become like the best safety in the NFL in that uh, in this quick stretch of time? And almost, uh, you're, you know, he's he's just you know, he's a, a beast out there, quite frankly. And how does uh, how much is his matchup against Travis Kelsey, who kind of emerged, <clears throat> excuse me, who kind of emerged from the dead last week and with two touchdown catches after not having one for eight games? How much does that matchup, uh, Hamilton against Kelsey, play a role in the game on Sunday? I mean, I think it's going to be huge. And I'd also throw Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen, their inside linebackers, who will certainly have some responsibilities uh, as well. I mean, that's going to be so pivotal. We know what Kansas City's wide receiver position looks like beyond Rasheed Rice. So uh, that's that's a given. But I think what's made them so good, with what has made Hamilton so good, really so great so quickly, it really goes back to what I was just saying about Mike McDonald. They have not tried to put him in a box, and I don't mean playing in the box as a box safety. I, what I mean is, you're talking about a guy who's six foot four. You know, he's he hits like a linebacker. He can run. You know, he can blitz. You know, you see him play at the line of scrimmage. You'll see him play uh, at the second level. You'll see him play a, a deep safety. Although that's probably the thing he does the least because they just they like moving him around. He really is, and you hear, you've heard a lot of anal, football analytics types talk in recent years, talking about on defense wanting to play positionless football. And what that means is basically you have guys that can do anything, and you can kind of line them up anywhere. And Hamilton epitomizes that maybe better than just about anyone in the National Football League right now. So he's just – they've leaned into that. They haven't said, oh, well, we just want to make you a deep safety or, oh, we're just going to make you a box safety. Or, you know, even last year, he played almost exclusively nickel last year because he did struggle a little bit early in the season. But they've just built on that. And he still plays a ton of nickel. And, you know, to, to your point, I mean, he's going to be so pivotal uh, in covering Kelsey. Yeah. 
but he's just so good at so many different things. And the Ravens have said, all right, we're just going to move him around. We're, we're not going to keep this guy at one position. Why would we do that? Uh, when he can be someone who makes an impact doing three or four or five different things over the course of a game. And I really think they've embraced that and he's embraced that. And it's just resulted in him uh, being such a dynamic player and already an all pro and, and heading to the pro bowl. Okay, last up, it's only Wednesday, and I know many things can happen between now and Sunday afternoon. Uh, what are a couple things that you're going to be paying attention to these next few days, and do you expect the Ravens to win on Sunday? I do expect the Ravens to win, and let's be very clear about this. This is Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, and for so many years, especially playing in the AFC, you saw years where Tom Brady and the New England Patriots wouldn't look so hot come November or December, and you'd say, okay, maybe this is the year that it's finally over, and then, sure enough, uh, I'd be talking about them in the Super Bowl at Radio Row every year because that's just how it works. So understanding that caveat, you know, it, it, the Ravens have to play uh, close to their best football. They certainly need to play a more complete 60 minutes than they did against Houston last week, and that's even saying that after a 34-10 victory. But I, I, I mentioned Kansas City's defense. You know, their, their run defense is more vulnerable. I think that's going to be such a big key for them uh, to figure out a way to contain Lamar, uh, but do that in a way that's not going to keep, leave you vulnerable to just be gassed with the Ravens' schemed-up running game. Uh, I, I think on the opposite side, yeah, there's Mahomes. Yeah, there's Travis Kelsey. I, I mentioned Rasheed Rice, who has played at a really high level for them at wide receiver down the stretch. But I think, you know, and I haven't mentioned this yet, Kansas City can run the football pretty well. And as Isaiah Pacheco, uh, you know, I, I know John Harbaugh was very complimentary of him earlier in the week, you know, with his physicality and wanting to get downhill. If there is one, and I say relative weakness, because I don't think it's a bad run defense, Houston can run the football at all against them last week, and that's because the Texans don't have any kind of a running game. So it's not like it's that big of a vulnerability, but relatively speaking for this defense, it has been the run. You know, teams that have been able to move the ball on them more so than others have been able to do it with their running game. I think back to that uh, December game with the Rams, how they came in and they ran the ball really well, and they gave the Ravens their toughest game they've had over the second half of the season, you know, an overtime victory uh, on a punt return. So I think for Kansas City, a big key is going to be can they get their running game going with Isaiah Pacheco and you know, kind of do to the Ravens what – teams have always tried to do against Kansas City, which is keep their offense off the field. So, I, I, But I think for that to work, and this is where, again, I'll still give the edge to the Ravens, Kansas City, we've seen their, their red zone offense. Now, it was better in Buffalo, but even in that, that wild card win over Miami, not finishing drives inside the red zone, I think if you're settling for field goals rather than touchdowns against the Ravens, the math's probably not going to add up to a victory at the end. So I think that's such a key for them. I do expect this to be a good game. I think the Ravens need to have the proper amount of respect for the defending Super Bowl champions. Uh, but if they do, and if they play at least close to their best game, uh, I think they're going to be winning and going to Super Bowl 58. Okay, Luke, that's great. I really appreciate it as always. Have fun. And uh, you know, if they win this, uh, I'm sure we'll be catching up in the next couple of weeks before the big game. Sounds good, Bob. Uh, always glad to talk to you. And, yeah, if, uh, if they're uh, playing in Las Vegas, I'll be out there and we'll uh, certainly catch up. Thanks, Luke. Luke Jones at WNST.net. Next segment, phone call time at 602-260-1060. Also, we have some bottom line answers from today's pipeline. 
And we'll get to a little local roundup, including the Suns and the Mavs for tonight. Uh, but once again, phone call time, 602-260-1060. General discussion. If you want to jump aboard, we have plenty of time. Uh, so stay, you know, so get in now. Uh, you're listening to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUSAM 1060 and Castle HD2 100.7. Show Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. It's time for today's local roundup. We're back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KISS Lux HD2 100.7. In addition to the local roundup, phone call time to the KDUS hotline 602 260 1060. Get to the uh, phone lines in just a couple of moments. Sit tight if you're on hold right now. First up, some bottom line answers from today's pipeline. Obviously, the Suns in the uh, Mavericks tonight uh, in the uh, part of the Rivals Week uh, from the NBA. Uh, who wins tonight? Suns at Mavericks. And the bottom line, the Suns certainly playing at their highest level of the season. That has resulted in six consecutive wins. But the Suns, uh, even with the winning streak, still have struggled at the defensive end, especially against perimeter players and ones that can get into the paint. For instance, Bulls point guard yeah, Cody White, he's a good player, a decent player at least. Came within one assist of a triple-double against the Suns on Monday night, basically by just dribbling into the paint whenever he wanted to dribble into the paint. Uh, Luka Doncic, they had the last time the Suns played the Mavs on Christmas night, a 128-114 uh, Mavericks victory in Phoenix. Doncic in that game had 50 points and 15 assists. So... I have a tough time going against the Mavs tonight. Uh, you know, when, you know, we'll see how this goes. Can the Suns defend him some? Uh, which they've really not done for three seasons running now. As most of the NBA hasn't done a good job of defending him either. Rest of the uh, pipeline here that are non-poll questions. The Bucks are they doing the right thing by hiring Doc Rivers? First up, let's go back. You know, They have the second-best record in the NBA. They decided that uh, Adrian Griffin... Uh, wasn't good enough for them. Their defense has gone from fourth to 22nd in the uh, NBA this season. Uh, and would they expect to be better on defense after they traded Drew Holiday, one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, to, for Damian Lillard, who is one of the worst? Uh, I guess they did. Uh, but I think there's a different reason that they fired him. There's no doubt in my mind, at least, that Giannis or Lillard wanted Griffin gone uh, for whatever reason. And also uh, the Adrian Belt, the Hall of Fame thing. Uh, we'll get into more in this in the uh, during the extra point with Kayla. But you know, I'm a big Adrian Beltray fan. I've been talking about that for years. Uh, I can see why he's in. Joe Bauer, maybe no Todd Helton in my opinion. And we'll get into that in even more detail during the extra point. Also in today's pipeline, our poll questions, which we'll, which we'll answer around the 12:30 or so segment during the extra point. Hosted by Kayla, 
Uh, today's questions, uh, the uh, .com poll question, kdus1060.com. The uh, Ravens minus 3.5 or the uh, Kansas City Chiefs plus 3.5. And, and uh, Jim Harbaugh, uh, would it be the best cho- what would be the best choice for him, leaving the, cl- uh, the Chargers or going to the uh, – Steve, I'll start that over. Leaving for the Chargers or staying at Michigan? Okay. All right, on to the phone lines we go. And Rob in Mesa. Hi, Rob. Hey, Bob. Uh, the Hall of Fame, I, I, I think you just said you were going to speak on it a little later, okay, but I just wanted to chime in here. Uh, unfortunately, the narrative that I've heard so much in the past few years is when somebody's elected, everybody talks about who's not in and why they're not in and how can they not be in. And there's a little bit about who gets in, and then it's like, well, this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. And I kind of got soured on it, but, you know, here I am talking about it again. So as a baseball (laughs) fan, it brings me back, you know, into it. I can't get away from it. But it's really hard because you got the PED guys and you got the – the greenie guys, and you got the first 60 years where baseball was segregated, so I don't know if those are real stats. They are, but I don't know if they were playing against the best competition because Negro League players weren't in. So there's so many complex things that you can do, but I agree with you with Adrian getting in there. I Like I know him on a first-name basis, but Joe Maurer, the big thing was how can he be a first-ballot Hall of Famer, which to me – I understand those are the elite of the elite, but also if you're a Hall of Famer, you're a Hall of Famer. Does that make any sense? Totally agree. I also think this first ballot thing is a little skewed uh, because, quite frankly, I didn't think, you know, I'm somebody who thinks there's too many people in the Hall of Fame now, but uh, I think that there's a. uh, there, there wasn't a whole lot of candidates, in my opinion. I thought there was like one, uh, Beltray, in my opinion. Now, I'm a, I'm a huge Andrew Jones. I think Andrew Jones is the Ozzie Smith of center fielders. Ozzie Smith mm-hmm. was a great defensive player. Jones was phenomenal. Um, I, I think I would have put him on there. And I'm kind of coming around with Gary Sheffield. Well, that's the one guy I would actually make more of an argument for than a lot of others. So I'm with you on that. I, I mean, he had the, uh, you know, there were, at one point, I don't remember from whom I lost track over the years, but at least there one time there was some kind of PED connection in Sheffield, whether that's accurate or not, who knows. So I assume that's actually hurt him some. But just when I was watching him play, it did occur to me more than occasionally that this dude could be a Hall of Famer. There's too many people in all walks of life, whether it's baseball or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, that when I've watched them or listened to musicians, I've never thought, man, that that group or that dude begins that they should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I've thought that about Sheffield. I never for one second thought that about Joe Maurer or Todd Helton. I, I can't say that I was there with them either, but I know there's one guy that we strongly agree should be there, and that's Keith Hernandez, which I don't think. And yes. I'm also a big on um, a guy that's not there, Dale Murphy. I think he belongs in there. Um, just my opinion, though, but uh, thanks for taking the call, and uh, I'll be listening. Yeah. 
Good hearing from you. Thanks. Baseball pitchers and catchers, February 14th. <laughs> you All right, coming up next, we'll have news up with Corey. We'll get to more on the Mavs and the Suns also, I'm sure, during the Extra Point hosted by Kayla. So stay tuned for that. Uh, coming up next, uh, Corey with a news update. Then we'll get to the conclusion of today's uh, thrilling one-hour radio extravaganza known as the Sports Zone. Uh, with the National Roundup, we'll give you the updated numbers, which actually haven't changed since yesterday. Uh, but we'll give you the updated numbers, uh, at least from the opening line, of uh, NFL Conference Championship Sunday. And uh, depending on phone, uh, depending on uh, time, I'll get to some uh, rip from the headlines and from the wire, maybe even a little basketball, college basketball scoreboard from last night. You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KS Lux HD 2 100.7. Hey, Phoenix, Doug Gottlieb here. I'm bringing the best sports talk weekdays to you, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. It's time for today's National Roundup. Welcome back. Final segment today's Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KISS Lux HD 2 100.7, the latest line from NFL Championship Sunday. No change from yesterday, actually, at this time, but uh, the Ravens back... Uh, over uh, the Sunday at some strategical point when they posted this number. Uh, let's actually, let's, yeah, the Ravens opened three point favorites and uh, the total was 45. It's now three and a half and 44 and a half. As I mentioned, no change from yesterday. Uh, as far as the Niners, they opened six and a half against the Lions and 50 and a half was the total. And that's uh, changed, uh, you know, Monday or Tuesday, somewhere in this, in that area. Uh, but now still at seven, uh, as it was the last 24 hours or so, and the total still sitting at 51. All right, let's get to uh, some college basketball from last night quickly. Can't, uh, Kentucky can't guard anybody. Um, they've got an extremely talented young team, but they are average at best as far as the defensive end of the floor. They lost last night. They gave up 70. Now, South Carolina is not a bad team. But they're also a really methodical team, and they don't shoot fast. They don't play at a fast tempo. And South Carolina scored 79 points last night against Kentucky. They won 79-62. to 62. Uh, As good as Kentucky is skill-wise on offense, on offense and so forth, they need to figure out how to guard. They kind of remind me of the Suns a little bit. Uh, the, you know, <clears throat> sometime, at some point, you're going to have to get a stop. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. Kentucky, by the way, plays at Arkansas on Saturday, so that should be interesting. Even though I'm not exactly sure what I'm thinking of Arkansas. I don't know. If, you know from game to game, it seems to be wildly different. Houston, University of. Uh, they're, uh, they've been really good for several years now. They're in the Big 12 now. I thought, well, they might take a step back. I'm not so sure. Uh, you know, their guards are so good. Uh, and last night they uh, they won on the road, which they had had some problems doing in the Big 12 so far. But they won at BYU last night, uh, dominating the second half. They won 75-68. L.J. Cryer, one of those guards I talked about, led the way with 23 points. All right, quickly, some rip from the headlines here. Let's start with the NFL. Wick Martindale and Ron Rivera being mentioned uh, as the can- among, among the candidates to be the next Eagles defensive coordinator. From the NBA, uh, the Heat 
uh, they got a real skilled scorer in a trade yesterday, Terry Rozier. He can put the ball in the basket. Also can pass it a little bit. Uh, They got him for Kyle Lowry in a 2027 uh, first-round draft pick. That seems to be an excellent addition for the Heat. And, of course, the Heat with Eric Spolster, the best coach team in the NBA. The league, the NBA uh, being the league, suspended uh, Cavaliers forward Tristan Thompson 25 games for violating the league's anti-drug policy. Apparently there was some kind of doping going on here uh, from Thompson. College football, Alabama, last report, has lost 37 players to either the transfer portal or the NFL draft since Nick Saban retired. That was less than two weeks ago that he retired. It was a week ago tomorrow that he retired. Ohio State's impressive January continue the transfer portal edition of Caleb Downs from Alabama, who was a freshman All-American corner at Alabama last year. And also the recruiting season, a high school recruiting system uh, season. They got a flip from Alabama there. Five-star quarterback Jawan Sayan is uh, now going to go to Ohio State. That's their second five-star quarterback that they've recruited in the last you know, month and a half or so. And they could use some improved quarterback play. We'll see how you know Howard's are transferring in from Kansas State and will be the starter next year. But it appears that uh, Ryan Day's done a good job restocking the quarterback room. All right, that's it for the uh, the Sports Zone for today. Stay tuned. The Extra Point hosted by Kayla coming up next. Thanks for listening. This has been the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp. <laughs>